This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. And welcome to the Three Lions Podcast. My name is Russell Osborne and this is an independent England football supporters podcast. Uh, It's been a while, hasn't it? 10th of December, Albayet in Qatar. England's journey in the World Cup came to an end against France. Three and a half months later and our Three Lions are finally back in action. This time as they embark on their first steps towards the European Championships in Germany 2024. Gareth Southgate has announced his squad for the two games, away to Italy and home to Ukraine. I'll go through that in a moment. And as always, I'll be speaking to some people who know a little more about our opponents than I do. As always, though, thank you very much for tuning in and for listening to the previous episodes. There was the one about postponed, cancelled and abandoned games. Just a little filler episode. Uh, But perhaps there was something there that you you didn't know. Every day's a school day. Hopefully it doesn't come back to haunt me, that one, anytime soon. Uh, Then, of course, there were the episodes where I spoke with Asa Fogelberg about her book Three Lions and a Kitten. Uh, The one with Paul Letters looking back at Qatar 2022. And perhaps one relevant to this upcoming trip. The one where I spoke with Mark Griffiths from On The Ball Travel. Those and all the previous episodes are available at your podcast provider of choice. And of course, threelionspodcast.com. As I said, as I'm sure you're more than aware, Italy and Ukraine are our opponents. Uh, here are the facts and stats ahead of them. First up, Italy, whom in in all honesty, we have a poor record against. Since 1933, we have met on 30 occasions. Italy have the upper hand with 11 wins. Uh, there have been 11 draws and we've only won eight times, of which the most recent was back in 2012, over 10 years ago. That was a friendly in Switzerland, in Bern. But the most recent match was only last year in Milan, where a Raspadori goal was the difference in an ill-fated Nations League campaign, shall we say. So here's hoping that that all changes uh, sooner rather than later. On to Ukraine, uh, a team we've met eight times since their formation as an independent nation uh, in 1991. We've won five, we've drawn two and we've lost just one. The first meeting was back in 2000 in a friendly, a 2-0 win. And then the most recent was a Euro 2020 quarterfinal. You know that one, another win. Uh, That one was on foreign soil in Rome. So, let's get on to it. The squad. Uh, One that Gareth Southgate announced on Thursday the 16th of March. And I have to say, it's one that doesn't surprise me, and one that does surprise me. 
Uh, I'll come to those in a moment. But first, let's run through it. It is a 25-man squad. Remember, they can only select 23 as a matchday squad. Three goalkeepers, Jordan Pickford of Everton, Nick Pope of Newcastle United and Aaron Ramsdale of Arsenal. Nine defenders, Ben Chilwell and Rhys James of Chelsea, Eric Dyer of Tottenham Hotspur, Mark Gay of Crystal Palace, Harry Maguire and Luke Shaw from Manchester United, Kieran Trippier from Newcastle United and John Stones and Kyle Walker of Manchester City. Kyle Walker, incidentally, is the oldest of the squad. Seven midfielders, Jude Bellingham of Borussia Dortmund, who incidentally is the youngest uh, at 19 years old. Conor Gallagher and Mason Mount from Chelsea, Jordan Henderson from Liverpool, James Madison from Leicester, Calvin Phillips from Manchester City, Declan Rice from West Ham United. Then forwards, we've got six of them, two from Manchester City, Phil Foden and Jack Grealish. Tottenham Hotspur's Harry Kane, of course, is captain uh, with the most caps, 80, and the most goals, 53. From Manchester United, there's Marcus Rashford. From Arsenal, there's Bakayo Saka. And from Brentford, Ivan Tony, who was brought into the squad on his 27th birthday. It is a squad with 206 caps to it and 109 goals. Has an average age of 26.3. And just to spread those names across the clubs, there are five from Manchester City, four from Chelsea, three from Manchester United, two from Tottenham Hotspur, Arsenal and Newcastle United, and one from Everton, Crystal Palace, Borussia Dortmund, Liverpool, Leicester, West Ham and Brentford. Now, the unsurprising fact is that there are not many major changes. And I think with the fact we have both Italy and Ukraine first, I think he's thought, I don't want to blood too many new faces in a couple of games where it'd be ideal to get off to a good start. Perhaps he'll wait for the two June fixtures against Malta and North Macedonia to, with the greatest of respect, lesser opponents. But I personally think Gareth really needs to be considering the next generation. If, and I say a big if, this is his last shot at a trophy as England manager. I mean, he's already gone public by saying he was contemplating quitting last year, wasn't he? And I believe his contract only runs until the end of the Euros. He needs to be doing the right thing by the country the right thing by the fans, and the right thing by the the next manager, by making sure that we have a set of players who are ready to go. Uh, they've got experience, and they are sort of, they're aware of the international game. So yeah, next squad, I'm I'm hoping for some newer faces, put it that way. Uh, but it is good to see both Rhys James and Ben Chilwell return. Uh, Of course, both missed the World Cup. So the surprising selections are Ivan Toney. I have to say, I did wonder if the betting charges hanging over him would hinder his opportunity. Clearly not. Uh, Gareth has said he's playing for his club and available for them. 
there hasn't been a trial or any judgment, so I don't know on what basis we wouldn't pick him. Uh, I mean, he was in the squad for the Nations League games against Italy and Germany back in September of last year, but he never made it to the pitch. So he is uncapped at this moment in time. Uh, So this is the opportunity to to tie him down, isn't it? Um, He is scoring goals for Brentford at the moment. Yeah, good luck to him. Kyle Walker. This is the other surprising one. Uh, Recently caught on CCTV in some uncompromising positions. Basically, he was caught with his pants down, wasn't he? Which I didn't think would go down too well with Gareth. Uh, Although he has said that they've had to have a couple of long conversations between themselves. Now, there's a uh, fly-on-the-wall conversation you'd want to be part of, wasn't it? Calvin Phillips is another one, surprising. I've said it before, I'll, perhaps it's unsurprising really. Uh, I've said it before and I'll say it again, he made a mistake in leaving Leeds to not get regular game time at Manchester City. Harry Maguire, everyone's asking the same question. He's not played a huge amount recently for United, but like Pickford, he doesn't often let England down. It's not a new phenomenon here with Gareth, is it? Uh, although same can be said of Conor Gallagher and Mason Mount. Those that have missed out, Ben White, obviously he left the World Cup squad and I'm not sure if the reason was officially stated but I think over time it's become clear that he had a disagreement with Steve Holland, Gareth's assistant. If that was the case, it's clearly not been resolved. It's a shame, obviously he's in good form for Arsenal. No Raheem Sterling, obviously he's not in the the form of his life but officially he's injured. No Trent Alexander-Arnold, no Connor Cody or no Callum Wilson either from recent squads. Solly March and Lewis Dunk from Brighton can both be upset. Uh, Although on March, Gareth said, could he be selected ahead of the likes of Rashford, Saka and Grealish? Which maybe is a fair call, but if you are looking on on current form, could he be ahead of Grealish? don't know. Uh, following Balogun on loan from Arsenal at French side Rems. 16 goals in 26 games. I think that's more than Messi uh, over there in Ligue 1. Previously, he's got seven goals in 13 England under 21 games. Uh, I know both USA and Nigeria have made sounds about capping him. Might have been an opportunity here. Opportunity missed. Jaden Sancho. Perhaps, I don't know, maybe just gone off the boil a bit after having a a little decent period. But my main gripe is James Ward-Prowse. What does he have to do? Uh, 11 previous caps, his last being in the goalless draw against Italy uh, at Wolves last year. Obviously, he is a free-kick specialist. He's a good all-round player. I'd like to think that not being selected uh, has nothing to do with his club's Premier League position who in fairness to him at the time of recording they are only two points off of Declan Rice West Ham and James Madison's Leicester uh, and three off of Jordan Pickford's Everton 
I'm actually recording this on the day of the squad announcement. So still, Arsenal, Manchester United and West Ham are all in European action. There is a Premier League weekend and also FA Cup fixtures. Let's wait and see who remains in the squad uh, and who I'll need to edit in and out. Uh, But just one more thing, Harry Kane. This is his opportunity to get the England all-time record goal-scoring achievement. Uh, He's officially joint top with Wayne Rooney on 53 goals. And something I mentioned on Twitter, his next hat-trick, as and when, will take him level on the most for England with Jimmy Greaves. So there's something to watch out for if you are either in Naples or at Wembley or if you are watching on the TV back home. So the day after the squad announcement, uh, there were a couple of things. Balogun was in fact selected for the under-21s, and of course they're in action too over this international window with games at Leicester and Fulham, so still time for him to be selected with the seniors in due course. Uh, Perhaps I was a little bit harsh there, Uh, although I did see he put a cryptic message on social media which perhaps took a swipe at Gareth Southgate for not selecting him in the uh, the senior squad. He said on Instagram, In life, go where you're appreciated. Mm, maybe still some grown-up to do there. Then, on the same day, Chelsea's Mason Mount was the first withdrawal, with manager Graham Potter stating that he hadn't played since February and he still wasn't 100% fit which makes you wonder how the communication works with Gareth, the FA, players and clubs. (laughs) I really don't know. Two other players withdrew over the weekend. They were Newcastle United's goalkeeper, Nick Pope. He pulled out of a minor injury following their away win over Nottingham Forest on the Friday night, with Tottenham's Fraser Forster recalled in his place. Uh, He hasn't played since 2016, but he was a squad member last year against Switzerland and the Ivory Coast. And also Manchester United's Marcus Rashford was omitted following their FA Cup match against Fulham. Apparently picked up a knock there. That was an entertaining game, wasn't it, that one? But neither Mount or Rashford have been replaced. So at time of recording, we head to Italy with a squad of 23. Now, before I get into the conversation with my Italian guest for this episode, I'm sure you've seen the recent escapades in Naples ahead of the Champions League match between Napoli and Eintracht Frankfurt. Uh, it would appear that the city turned into a, I don't want to say war zone, what with the conversation that's still to come uh, on the subject of Ukraine. But for those that have seen the footage, I can understand if some are having reservations. But it would appear that this was all pretty much premeditated. Um, in a big fiasco by UEFA, basically, by banning Frankfurt fans... They're not banning them for the fixture. 
Anyhow, I turned up en masse and by appearing to team up with Atalanta fans, caused chaos, outnumbered the local police, which obviously in turn provoked the Napoli fans. And the place was a mess, wasn't it? Um, all I can say is this clearly isn't what the situation will be come our match. As far as I'm aware, there is no recent history. Let's not give the media the opportunity to knock England fans once again. Let's go. Enjoy the city. Enjoy the game. Hopefully come away with all three points and leave UEFA just trying to sort out the, the Napoli-Frankfurt issue and, frankly, their own house. Um, yeah. Anyway, this is my chat, which was recorded before this incident occurred. Now, the city of Naples will host England for only the second time. Uh, the previous being back in 1990 for the quarterfinal of the World Cup against Cameroon. Uh, it also hosted the semi-final that year between Argentina and Italy. Uh, and that caused some friction as playing for Argentina in Naples uh, was a certain Argentine. Back then, the stadium was known as the Stadio San Paolo. It's now known as the Stadio Diego Armado Maradona. Uh, there'll be a few who were there in 1990 who are once again going. But for the vast majority, myself included, it'll be the first time I have been to the city and the stadium. So looking forward to it. But as I always like to do, uh, is to get someone to guide us about, tell us a little bit about the city. Uh, so I'm delighted uh, to welcome to the podcast... Michael Borelli uh, from the In the Shadow of Vesuvio, uh, an English-speaking Napoli podcast. Michael, hello there. Hello. Hello, guys. Hello. Hello, you Russell. Well? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely fine. It's a beautiful day today in Napoli. And oh. uh, yeah, it's perfect. You know you know how the season is going for the club and it seems to be reflected in the weather as well right now. So it's everything, everything perfect. That's what we want to hear. As long as that nice weather stays um, come match day, everyone's going to be happy. <laughs> so you're in... Um, it, actually, firstly, is it Naples or is it Napoli? Um, it, in Italian, it's Napoli. Okay. So, yeah, Napoli is the Italian name for the team and the, and the uh, city, obviously. Okay. So how long have you lived in Napoli? I was born and raised here. So I was oh. born and raised here, but I also lived in the UK for a few years. Okay, I lived what, in the what UK delights, for six years. What delights of the UK did you live in? I lived in London, obviously, <laughs> for five <laughs> years. But then I moved to Scotland and I lived there for a year, year and a half. So okay. it was very, yeah, I enjoyed that. I really enjoyed that. But it was, was time to come back. <laughs> was that for work or, or pleasure? No, I studied there. I studied, I worked, I got my degrees uh, in, in the UK. Right. And then I moved back to Italy after a while. But I really enjoyed my time there. Oh, good to hear. Like to uh, like to think that we host people well over here. Definitely so, do. You're born and bred Napoli, so you're a, you're an ideal person to to guide us around the city. And and that's kind of where where I'd kind of like to start. Um we'll get onto the the football in in a bit but napoli as a a city what was it like there so i would say you know compared to even other cities around italy napoli i would say it's a very different kind of place maybe 
everyone says that about their own city, mm. but I do believe that Napoli is the real expression of, you know, being Italian. So all these, so what I joke about with some friends sometimes is that all the stereotypes about being Italian, they are actually Neapolitan stereotypes. So what people know around the world, you know, how they perceive an Italian to be like in Italy, this would be the the average Neapolitan. So, you know, the, the loud uh, voice or right. the hand gestures and the pizza, the spaghetti, literally everything about being Italian, even the, you know, the most common songs, you know, the stereotypical songs when there is like a little Italy scene in a movie. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's a Napol- That's like 99% of the times they are Napolitan songs in Neapolitan because oh. we have our own language. So, oh, do you? Uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's one of one of the peculiarities about Italy is that it's a relatively new country, which means that um, basically we have very regional cultures. Italy is very much not a unified country. You know, I I lived in the north of Italy for a while, and I, you know, it was very different. And I did feel like I was still living outside my own, let's say, comfort zone, my own city, my own country, uh, mm. let's say, you know, because it's really a different, you know, I lived in Udine, where Udinese basically is from. Yeah. And there they have a completely different, you know, food, completely different language even. You know, I didn't, when they spoke, I didn't understand anything. Obviously, when they spoke their own language, which yeah. is Friulano, and when I spoke Italian, they didn't understand me. So, yeah, we have we have these very big differences. And I think they also are reflected in the culture, obviously, and in the city itself. So what I would say about Napoli is that it's not an easy city to visit, which means that it's um, a little bit of a place to discover. You know, I would Mm. say usually the metaphor I give to people is that, for example, if you go to Florence or if you go to Venice, uh, they are beautiful, beautiful places. I love them. But, you know, they're very uh, tourist-friendly, let's say. Everything gets handed to the tourists because right. uh, it's, you know, they, ca- they cater to tourists a lot. Napoli is a little bit more uh, raw in that uh, sense. You know, like what you experience in Napoli, I would say is more genuine. It's right. more uh, real, but it's also a little bit more difficult for the average tourist. Because, and it, for example, you know, in Florence and Venice, everyone speaks English because they have a majority of their customers are English, you know, in the average shop. In Napoli, it's not the case. In Napoli, it's very difficult to find someone who speaks proper English, but but it is a very, very welcoming city. So even if there is this, for example, language barrier, you would still be able to have a laugh with it. You know, like if you yeah. go, if you only speak English, if you go to the average shop, maybe the owner doesn't speak English, but he's going to it's gonna laugh about it, you know. Like you're gonna have a laugh with it. You're gonna they, they, they're gonna make uh, themselves understood, and uh, they're gonna understand you by hand gestures, even you know. So that's quite fun, you know. It's a very genuine Italian experience, like you're never gonna experience anywhere else in the world and in Italy. That's what I would say about Napoli first and foremost. Well, that's that sounds like a. Uh, it sounds like we're getting the the real experience. You mentioned pizza. Who doesn't like pizza? Of course, pizza originated in Napoli, didn't it? It did, yeah. It Where's did. the best place to get pizza there? Oh, okay. So, <laughs> you know, yeah, no, that's a difficult... <laughs> it's like asking, you know, it's like asking to a father who's the favourite son or daughter, you know, it's very difficult. But in can Napoli, we are... You can get it everywhere. So I would say uh, there is no such thing as Italian pizza. 
So obviously, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that I'm a little bit biased, <laughs> but I I think I'm right when I say that the Italian pizza as a stereotype is wrong because if you get a pizza in Rome or a pizza in Florence in Milan, even you know they are very different from the pizza you get in Napoli. And uh, again, the difference I would say is that in those places they mostly make pizza how the tourists want them. In Napoli, for example, there is no concept of you know touristic places where to eat you know one of the questions i get asked a lot is uh can you recommend me a restaurant where the locals go and i don't have an answer for that because there are no there is no nothing you know there are no restaurants where only tourists go you know all the restaurants also must cater to to locals so Mm. the quality of the food is pretty much good everywhere you go um in terms of pizza there is this culture of you know the Pizza Napoletana, obviously, it's a little bit different, it's a little bit um, thin, very fresh ingredients. It's quite a, a little bit of a religion in Napoli, you know, the pizza. Everyone is very snob about their favorite <laughs> place, you know, like, there's, oh, this pizza is amazing. And they say, no, my favorite place is this. Oh, no, this place is rubbish. You know, that, <laughs> that's, uh, that's, that's how it goes. I'm going to tell you what my favorite pizza is. Go on. My favorite pizza is in a place called Starita. Starita in Mater Dei. The Matter Day is the area where the pizza is. And it's part of the, I would say, you know, there are about seven, ten historic pizza places in Napoli. So these are the ten pizza places where which everyone agrees that they are the best. And those are maybe you've heard of some of them because some of them are quite famous internationally. So for example, Da Michele, they shot some uh, I don't remember, like a, a movie with Julia Roberts. Okay. Where uh, she went to Napoli and she had a pizza. It was actually there in that place. So the Michele is very, very famous. And it's also extremely, extremely busy. Sometimes there is like a two, three hours long queue wow. outside yeah. this place. Yeah, that's yeah, that's the reason why I never go there anymore. <laughs> and it's yeah, it's a no frills place. So it's like it's 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 a big restaurant, but uh, you know, the service is very minimal. Uh, the pizza is amazing. Some say it's the best in Napoli, which means the best in the world. But you know, it's uh, you know, don't expect to be served like in a fancy restaurant there. Sometimes no, they make you sit next to people you don't even know just to save time. Yeah, that's part of the place, you know, it's part of the beauty. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So I would recommend Starita, I would recommend Da Michele, and then I would recommend probably Sorbillo, which yeah. is another of the uh, big ones. Ch- okay. 50 Calo is also quite famous. Okay. Well, there's plenty to choose from then, it would appear. Now Obviously, we've we've mentioned Maradona. Um, England and Maradona have got a uh, a bit of a love hate relationship. Let's uh, let's be honest. But I, from what I've seen from pictures around um, Napoli, there are a lot of Maradona murals, pictures, paintings around. Uh, is that true? I mean, is is he everywhere? It is. Yeah, is 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 everywhere. Uh, even in you know, like in the in the talks, in the dis- everyday discussions about football, there is always Maradona. There is always really? Maradona. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 everywhere. It says everywhere. And uh, sometimes, you know, I realize that I kind of probably took it for granted because seeing, you know, seeing a Maradona picture, a Maradona mural around Napoli, it's like seeing you know Jesus or like religious shrines. It they are very common, and after a while, you kind of take them for granted you know like mm. okay yeah sure i mean it's yeah it's maradona of course it's he, he has to be everywhere but then 
you know, even like questions like yours, like they, they, in, in, they make me, they made me realize that it's not normal, you know, to <laughs> idolize a football player like that. So it's, it's true. You know, he's everywhere. There are a lot of places, you know, you have to realize that in Napoli is almost uh, that the club, I mean, it's almost a hundred years old and we only won the title twice. You only won the league title twice and it was yeah. during the Maradona era. So yeah. it's pretty much a legend, you know, and that's it. Before Maradona, there was nothing. After Maradona, until this year, maybe, hopefully, yeah. <laughs> there was nothing. So Maradona was, you know, every time you talk about football, which is a lot in Napoli, uh, you eventually end up talking about Maradona. And, uh, you know, I'm part of a generation of people who uh, didn't experience Maradona because I was born right after Maradona left Napoli. Yeah. And uh, we grew up with a very bad Napoli side. You know, when I was growing up, Napoli was in the second, third tier of, you know, Italian league. So it was a very bad side. Eventually, obviously, they went bankrupt. But uh, yeah, there was, you know, like we always heard, you know, Maradona stories from our from our relatives, you know, Maradona this, Maradona that. Since, you know, still to this day, for example, one of the... The topics is Maradona is the best player in the history of the of the sport, and he's never gonna be um, over overtook by anyone. Even Messi, you know. When I ask, for example, my father is Messi better because he's achieved much more than Maradona now, and he said no, this is not even close. He, he doesn't even you know engage in this topic. He says no, there is like no comparison whatsoever, and he seems to be objective about it so i don't know i, I, I want to believe him <laughs> well that's, that's fair enough he, if he was there and he saw what was going on at the time then then the emotions and the memories um live long um we'll get on to to napoli and and where they are currently um in Serie. but just sort of leading on to to football um many people that well, i've read about people of of napoli they are very much into the the club side, Napoli, the, the the club of the city, yet not so much interested in the in the national side. Is that true? I would say that is correct. Yes, this is yeah. a correct assessment. Obviously, I don't want to generalize, and I don't want to say that it's true for everyone. Mm. But I would say that probably, you know, based on my personal experience among my friends and relatives, I would say. 50% probably don't care about the national team at all. Right. And uh, even even despise it at times. And uh, I know, I know I, you're going through bad times at the moment. Yeah, 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 exactly. But again, it's not really felt here, okay. you know? Like, this is a very uh, Napoli-centric place. And when I say that, I mean, like, the club, you know? Like, everyone, yes. everything we talk about is the club. So I would say the national team... I wouldn't say, you know, it's sometimes, even in Italy, people exaggerate a little bit about that. You know, they say, oh, yeah, people don't care at all about the Italian national team. That's not true. Hmm. That's not true. It's It has some truth to it. So, as, again, as, as I said, I would say probably it's 50-50. So, 50% do follow the team, do support it actively. I would say even when they do follow and support it, it's never as much as they support the club. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so... The other half really doesn't care, and sometimes uh, they actively cheer against the Italian national team. Wow! I mean, yeah. we're we're talking before the uh, the squad is announced, but I know recently there's been a few 
Napoli players in the squad. There was um, defender Di Lorenzo and there was uh, Raspadori and Politano, I believe, um, yes. strikers. So, I mean, do you, do you cheer them on or, or do you just say, no, no, you're playing for the national team this week. We're, we're not interested. No, we, we do, actually. <laughs> I do as well. So I, I told you that, for example, I'm part of the 50% which doesn't really care about the yeah. national team. Yeah. I don't even know when they play. I don't really follow them. I have, If I have to say um, I, what my feelings towards the national team are, I would say they are mostly negative. <laughs> mm. But it's, uh, yeah, no, when they actually, when, when for example, in Insigne, uh, you know, we, I mean, as you well, very well know, we, the Italian national team won the Euros. And, <laughs> yes. uh, yeah, right. And uh, again, uh, I didn't really celebrate that because again, it's I don't feel it as my team. But I was really happy for Insigne, for example. You know, Insigne yeah. was a very a starter in that team, and uh, he used to be Napoli's captain. So we were really happy about him. And a lot of like all Napoli fans were happy for Insigne. Were happy for Di Lorenzo. But other than that, most of the time, it's really you know it's really about. Napoli and about you know the connection those players have with Napoli it's not really about the national team as a whole yeah no that's that's fair enough everyone's got their own perspective on it now there is talk of England fans when when we come over to the city being confined to the the port area of the city Mm -hmm. for supposedly for safety reasons Um, and I think this is based on previous Liverpool and, and Manchester City Champions League games. Do you think that's that's right? And and what's what's that area like down at the port areas? I mean, in general, is Napoli a, a safe city? So, yes, I would say Napoli is gen- in general is a very safe city. There are a lot of uh, misconceptions and biases about Napoli. So uh, just to reiterate what I said before, uh, it's, it's um, important to keep in mind that Italy as a country is very divided. So we have a one language, that's true, but we really don't perceive, for example, people from the north of Italy being uh, same, you know, having anything in common with people from the south. Yeah. Uh, I say that because uh, that explains a lot of things. That explains why people in Napoli don't support the national team, which also explains why the national team hasn't been here for 30 years. Yeah. Um, in general, I would say there are a lot of biases coming from people uh, in other parts of Italy who say that Napoli is a dangerous city and stuff like that. Obviously, the south of Italy has the stereotype of being infected uh, with uh, organized crime, you know, the mafia and stuff like that, which is true, but it's not obviously exclusive of the south. It it comes from the south, but it's not exclusive to the south. I would say it's not more dangerous than it's uh, no more dangerous than Rome. It's no more dangerous than Milan. And Venice and the 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 uh, the statistics about crime also say that we have to talk about the football side of it though because it is true that sometimes it can be dangerous for away fans to come to Napoli. That's unfortunately is the case. It's not as prominent, you know. Like for example, let's say Napoli went to Frankfurt uh, recently for a Champions League game, and uh, I wasn't there, but I've been told that Napoli fans were uh, hunted down by Frankfurt fans. Uh, that's not really what happens here, but there, there has been cases in the past where uh, some, you know, like criminals, because I don't want to even say Napoli fans, some yeah. criminals went around town, usually the day before the game, 
uh, they just look for someone who doesn't speak Italian, no, someone who appears to be a tourist, uh, and they just try to cause trouble, you know, because they are, I don't know, I have no idea why. I honestly struggle to understand the reasons behind it, you know, territorial defense, kind of like animals, you know. Yeah. But yeah, no, that, that, that has been the case in the past. Having said that, um, it is rare. You know, like it doesn't happen all the time. It does happen, but not all the time. It, I wouldn't say it's dangerous to go out around the city alone. Napoli is full of tourists, not as much as Rome or Venice or Florence or Milan, but it is full of tourists. We are used to having tourists here. So it's definitely um, not going to be dangerous. And also, I don't know if um, what I've just described will apply to national team games. Yes. Because yeah, yeah. basically, it's, you know, like I think. What causes trouble is the organized, you know, ultras groups in Napoli, and they obviously support Napoli. They are, um, you know, they attend Napoli games. I don't, these people don't attend Italian games. I, I, I mean, I know that for a fact. I know that mm. for sure. So I wouldn't think, you know, there would be this kind of reaction for an Italian, uh, for Italy, England, for a team, for a game which involves the Italian national team. That is a first, as you said. Uh, we haven't had you know, an, an, a national team game in Napoli for a long, long time. So I don't know what to expect, but I would imagine it could be different. And uh, about the port, yeah, I mean, they tell you to be in the port area because that's where the police is going to be. So the police can escort, you know, the English fans to the stadium and back. Uh, the port area is not that special, I would say. You know, it's uh, it's it, it's in the center of Napoli. It's just, I would say, just probably a safe area for the police, you know, to handle. Gotcha. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Well, what I do know, I think, is from the port area, can you see uh, Vesuvius? You right? can, yes. That's you can, yeah. obviously the, uh, the the volcano famous for uh, the area. How how easy is it for people to uh, to get, get there? And, and what is it, Pompeii as well? Pompeii, yeah, Pompeii is uh, obviously yeah one of the most uh, famous historical sites in uh, in Italy in the world. I would say that it, yeah. it's not that far from Napoli. So basically, you just take one train. If you want to go to the Vesuvius, you take one train uh, and you go to Ercolano, Herculaneum. Uh, you can also see the uh, no, it's like a small Pompeii, Herculaneum. It's a little right. bit less popular than Pompeii. It's a little bit smaller. But it's also quite nice. It's very, very nice. And not a lot of people know about that. So if you don't feel like going all the way to Pompeii, you can stop in Herculaneum. You can see the historical sites there. And you can take a, I think there is a bus right outside the uh, train station in, in Herculaneum. It brings you all the way to the top of the Vesuvius. I think from there, you also have to take another bus, which uh, brings you as close to the crater, uh, crater as possible. Then from there, you obviously have to walk. Yeah. Um, and you have to, I think, I'm not 100% sure about that because they changed it because of COVID. I haven't been there since. But I think you need to book the tickets online. So uh, you can okay. book them online. So it's better to book them online rather than go there. And, you know, because I've heard of people going there and actually being told that it's sold out. How yeah. can you sell out a, a, Vesu, a, a volcano? I don't know. But, <laughs> yeah, that, that's, what they, that's what I've heard. So it's better to be safe and book everything in advance yeah uh, full full capacity at the volcano <laughs> exactly <laughs> <laughs> anyway look we've got to talk um napoli currently as we speak top of Serie A, um by by a country mile 
Uh, as you say, it's been some time since you won the the Scudetto. Was it 1990? I think wasn't it. It was 1990. Yes. Wow. I mean, with Maradona. Yeah. Yeah. Luciano Spalletti. He's he's going to be on the verge of being spoken about in the same way as Maradona, isn't he? If this if you win the title. Uh, you know, like that's a question, you know, I've been thinking about that because a lot of people are saying, you know, even Spalletti or Cavaraschelia, which is our new star or Ossiemen, uh, people are saying, oh yeah, they're going to be at the same level as Maradona, but that's not the case. That's not, Maradona is, is a legend. You cannot be at the same level as a legend. You know, Maradona was much more than just a football player here. Yeah. Uh, he was like even a leader, you know, like a real leader. And, uh, you know, I don't want to get too deep into that because it would take hours. But, you know, he actually made Napoli's problems his own. So he spoke to the fans and he spoke to the rest of Italy like a true Napolitan. And that's what what it takes to get into the hearts of the Napoli fans, you know. And, uh, you know, as much as we love Spalletti and we do, as much as we love all our current players, there is no Maradona. There's never going to be another Maradona. I feel very... Uh, confident when I say that there's never going to be someone at the same level as Maradona. Even if Messi magically, you know, joined Napoli tomorrow, <laughs> he would never be at the same level because, you know, you know, it's just different. You know, it's one of those unique things that yeah. are never going to happen again in the history of the city or the sport. So, yeah, but having said that, we are living through magical times here. You know, I, as I said, I've never seen anything like it because I only heard you know, stories about Napoli winning the title. I've heard stories about how crazy it gets when Napoli wins something. And I grew up, while, while I was hearing these stories, Napoli was losing all games in Serie B, the second tie of Italian of the Italian uh, Football League. So uh, it was a little bit weird for me to, yeah. to, you know, to understand that. You know, it's like, oh yeah, you talk about Napoli being the, the top of the world and then, Yet today I'm watching Napoli losing against that Serie B side. So what are you talking about? But yeah, no, we are going very through very magical times. I think when you come to Napoli, you're gonna see a lot of Napoli flags. Uh, gonna be you're gonna see a lot of uh, no Napoli colors around town because people are getting ready for hopefully a big party. And every day I'm seeing a new flag popping up, you know, from a balcony, from a window. It's quite, it's quite, you know, it's quite emotional. You're going, you're coming to Napoli. For an Italian, uh, for the Italy, you know, national team, but you're gonna be surrounded in, you know, Napoli stuff. You'll see that. Oh, looking forward to it. And of course, you you are on the in the shadow of Vesuvio podcast, aren't you? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so it's a podcast that I actually have with uh, Henry Bell, with with an Englishman, right? Who, yeah, who is a Napoli fan, obviously. And uh, yeah, we just talk about Napoli. We talk about the culture. We talk about how. You know, an average Napoli fan from here lives, you know, the the Napoli experience, lives the live games. It's and you know how we actually live this big passion, which I would say is a little bit um, unparalleled in the rest of Italy for sure, maybe in Europe, because yeah. it's it's uh, good to keep in mind that actually uh, Napoli is uh, a city which has only one only one team. It's quite a big city. It's the third biggest city in Italy. Uh, for you know, uh, according to obviously the population, but we, for example, Rome is number one, Milan is number two, and they obviously have two teams. You know, they have Roma, Lazio, Milan, and Inter. Napoli only has one team, so everyone is uni- united behind just one club. 
and yeah. uh, that's quite beautiful to see. That's uh, that's what we talk about in the podcast. You know, the unique perspective of a Napoli fan who goes to all Napoli games, which would be me, obviously. And uh, <laughs> we share that for the rest of the world and for Napoli fans abroad, mostly. And you can find that just by searching uh, on your, your podcast provider, I guess. Yes, In the Shadow of Vesuvius is the name of the podcast, and we are part of the Far From Vesuvius network. Gotcha, gotcha. And one other thing uh, I'd like to mention, obviously, I imagine tickets are, are really hard to get for, for Napoli fans at the moment, but you, you do try and help people in that sort of venture to find tickets for people, don't you? Yeah, so I have this uh, business. I, I struggle to call it a business because for me, it's more like it's, it's too nice to be true. You know, I really yeah. love doing it, but it is a business because it's obviously a paid service which aims to help, you know, you know, just football fans or just tourists from all around the world experience Napoli games and obviously get uh, tickets for Napoli games and just be prepared for the experience in general. So I've been, I've been doing this for, for a few years now. And it's because mostly it's very hard to get tickets in Italy for football games, especially in Napoli. But in Italy in general, we have some very strict laws about uh, football tickets. Uh, all tickets have to have, you know, for example, the ticket holder's name yeah. printed on them. I think your tickets will be like that as well. That's right. So, so yeah. So at the gates, they always check, you know, ID. They have to match the ID to the ticket to make sure that you didn't buy the ticket on the secondary market, you know, there's no second, there is no secondary market for Napoli tickets, which means that once you buy the ticket, it's done, you know, you cannot yes. get a refund, you cannot sell it again, which makes it obviously quite difficult to get tickets for Napoli games. Also, Napoli, as I said, is a little bit of a difficult uh, city to understand. Once you discover it, I think it gives a lot, but it's a little bit too difficult to explore if you've never been here. So I do that as well i kind of give some guidance about the city about the stadium which has a lot of like small rules which p- most people don't know yeah I, I well for example you know um i've i've been contacted by some english fans for this game actually for italy oh, really? versus england yeah yeah uh, because they said that uh, the away section is sold out so they wanted to know if they they could get tickets for other sections gotcha and uh, yeah one of the well uh yesterday unfortunately i had to say no to an English, uh, an English fan, because unfortunately it is not possible in theory. I mean, that's the rules, but in theory it's not possible to be, to go to any other section as an Englishman, as an English fan, uh, because that's not really the culture here. You know, we have a small, well, I mean, it's like 3000 capacity away section and all the other sections are home, home fans, home sections. There is no neutral section here. So in theory, if you are an English uh, citizen and you try to get tickets for the home sections, you can, but the rule clearly states that they could deny entry to the stadium if they, if they decide to do so, you know? Yeah. So yeah, so it's, I would be careful about that. I, I would be careful about going yeah. to other home section, especially, especially the one next to the away section. I was asked that yesterday. I was the, I was because someone told me, yeah, I've been recommended to get tickets for the curva section next to the away section, and that is the wrong. I told him this is the the most dangerous advice you've been given <laughs> because it is literally the most hardcore section for home fans. Right. So definitely, definitely avoid that. So okay. I, I'm gonna say that for other English fans, That's... if you wanna get tickets for home section, try to get tickets for the tribuna section. Okay, but know, know that you could be denied entry. So yeah, yeah you never know. Yeah. 
No, nice one. Nice one. And of course, um, you can be found on Twitter at Napoli Tickets. Yes, that's right. Yes. Is it just, just Twitter or is it Instagram as well? And I use Instagram. I use Facebook. I use uh, Reddit. I use WhatsApp. Yeah, but mostly I use uh, Twitter for messages, Instagram, Facebook, and, and WhatsApp. But yeah, I, I share news on, on Twitter mostly. Great stuff. Michael. Many thanks for your time. It's really appreciated. I'm really looking forward to coming and, and visiting Napoli and, and just seeing what it has to offer and hoping that that, uh, that weather that you've got there uh, stays true for us. Let's hope so. Let's hope so. It's been my pleasure, really. Really my pleasure. Uh, you'll see. You'll enjoy Napoli. You will, you'll feel very welcome here. Many thanks. And uh, good luck to, uh, to, your, to your club side, Napoli. I'm, I'm sure you'll do it. <laughs> let's hope so fingers crossed <laughs> many thanks to Michael there I'm sure many fans going to the game are aware of the situation with tickets and the collection of them which is usually the case on an England away game but clearly this has been a headache for the supporters club as they are now emailing them out Uh, so just make sure all your details are correct with them whether this is anything to do with the issues caused by the frankfurt game hasn't been revealed but it's surely got to be a contributing factor reading between the lines hasn't it the fa have said that it is because of circumstances beyond their control i don't remember when away tickets were collection only when that began but in the time since I don't remember a situation like this and I'm now beginning to wonder if the Italian FA are deliberately making this harder than it really needs to be or on the other hand it might turn out to be a a blessing in disguise also yeah thoughts are with those that were booked on the sports world the official trip that's a uh, that's a kick in the nuts, that one. Now, Sunday, March the 26th, England host Ukraine at Wembley. And it's my pleasure to welcome back to the podcast, Andrew Todos, who's previously joined us uh, sometime back before the, the quarterfinal of the Euros. It was played in Rome, of course, a game that England won 4-0. Andrew, hello there. Hi, Russell. Yeah, the less said about that game, the better. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Well, I mean, a a lot has happened since then. Um, I don't really know how to start, but I I know when we did speak, you explained that you live in London, um, but you have Ukrainian family. First of all, I mean, are you all right? Are you well? And and your family, is everyone well there? So, yeah, I mean, fortunately for myself, obviously, the fact that I live in London, I haven't been too heavily affected. The family that I've got over in Ukraine live in the west of the country, so they haven't been too badly impacted by sort of direct causes of war for example having their house destroyed and all the all the or seeing russian soldiers as a lot of the people in the east and obviously i'm sure a lot of england fans who went to donetsk and and everywhere else in the east and Kharkiv, maybe in the past uh have been more impacted so it my family in general fortunately if um are okay uh got a lot of friends 
in the in the media etc a few have gone to actually fight one of them's a medic on the front line a lot of football ultras have sadly passed away from multiple clubs across ukrainian sides and obviously all the thousands of others so it's it's been a tough year 13 months for sure but i think hopefully this game coming up on sunday the 26th will be another bit of respite for everyone just to sort of forget about the war for 90 minutes and um enjoy a bit of football yeah i mean it's it's often said that football is a uh, a well-known sort of morale lifter um so i mean what what are sort of the expectations um, of the Ukraine national side sort of going into it? Well, I mean, I guess I can sum up the group, really. Uh, I think a lot of people, especially in Ukrainian media, haven't written Ukraine off as such, but are highly pessimistic in Ukraine finishing either in the top two spots. So essentially, Ukraine know that there's this fallback of the playoffs for the Euros, as there always is, if you finish third. And due to the way that the Nations League works and like second place teams and all this kind of stuff, it's like almost pretty certain that Ukraine will get in those playoffs if they finish third in the group. Like it's quite, it's like high chance of that. So that I guess is something that, that is possibly, possibly worked on at the moment. I mean, just based on, I guess, the past year's form, obviously Ukraine didn't make the World Cup after losing to Wales last summer, which I think a lot of people were disappointed with. Um, It was just less like angry or anything. It was just really sort of an upsetting moment that Ukraine weren't able to sort of represent uh, the country in Qatar during such a sort of hard year for Ukraine. But things happen. And then the Nations League campaign wasn't particularly successful either. Uh, Scotland finished top of the group and Ukraine remain in Nations League B with England, (laughs) who potentially could uh, be facing whenever that draw ends up coming around. But the question is, I guess, everything's a bit up in the air with Ukraine at the moment. It's a bit of a weird limbo, limbo state for the national team because they don't actually have a full-time manager. So Alexandra Petokov, who was the manager for the past sort of year and a half, he came in after Andrew Shevchenko's contract wasn't renewed after that that Euros that we spoke about. He was there. Obviously, he his own contract wasn't renewed in December of 2022 because of the fact that Ukraine didn't make the World Cup, didn't do too well in the Nations League. So he was sort of let go, per se. And now the UAF, Ukraine Association of Football, really wants uh, Serhii Rebrov, obviously the former okay. Spurs and West Ham manager, to take the helm. Wasn't Rebrov and Shevchenko, they were the, the duo, yeah. weren't they? Yeah. yeah, the duo. And he's seen as one of the most sort of prospective, up-and-coming, or I don't know, most established, best Ukraine manager, Ukrainian manager that there is out there at the moment. And he's currently manager of Al Ain in the United Arab Emirates. Okay. And as a result, his contract doesn't actually end until this summer. So they can't actually, the UAF can't actually announce him or 
agree a deal where I think without paying massive amounts of compensation, which obviously they don't actually have the money to pay at the moment. So they're sort of waiting out for him for his contract to end in the summer and then oh, potentially right. snap him up then. But for the time being, Ukraine have got an interim coach, a caretaker manager per se, called uh, Ruslan Rotan. He's sort of, uh, he used to be a, he's a veteran of Ukrainian football, really, a veteran of the Ukrainian national team back in the day. He's, I think he got close to 100 caps for the national team. Similarly, he played for the likes of Dnipro, made it, he was captain of them when they made the sort of Europa League final back in 2015 and even played against England a few times oh. over the course of his career as well, especially in that um, one-all draw at Wembley back in uh, back in 2012. And as a result, he's been given the job. But the reason that he's been given the job is because he's really got quite close ties to the Ukraine Association of Football because he's actually the Ukraine under-21 manager. Oh, right. So he's been given the senior job for the England game um, with the hope that Rebrov will be sorted out in the summer, even though the fact that Ukraine's under-21s have qualified for the Euros this summer. So there's all this sort of hoo-ha of he's actually not going to be in charge of the under-21s. You've got a couple friendlies warming up for that tournament this month <laughs> at the same time as obviously um, the England-Ukraine game's going on. And on top of that, Rotan also was given a club job in January in the Ukrainian Premier League. So he's got a full-time job as a club coach of Alexandria in the Ukrainian Premier League. He already was the Ukraine under-21s manager, and now he's also the Ukraine national team manager. So he's currently juggling three jobs. He has to walk out the front door with the right hat on. He has to make <laughs> Exactly. Sure. <laughs> what squad am I going to pick today? Like, what players yes. am I looking at? You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, well, well, fair play to him for, uh, well, I've, Obviously, uh, I want to see England win, but yeah, I wish him all the best in this uh, this interim period. Whilst he's got three jobs on the go, um, yeah. I mean, this is the first game I think I'm right for Ukraine since that Scotland game in September last year. I think. Yep. So that was a nil-nil, uh, boring, very cold evening in September, and yeah, they didn't end up having any friendly games in November when I think there was the opportunity for it because I think the as far as I'm aware the Ukrainian Association of Football and the Ukrainian Premier League and the clubs as well wanted to try and play as many matches of the Ukrainian Premier League as they possibly could um, before the annual winter break just in case anything obviously with the war etc potentially might have derailed anything fortunately it didn't they played out those fixtures the clubs that is but as you mentioned, Ukraine haven't played for the best part of six months together. So um, it's going to be interesting. And I think a lot of people are sort of none the wiser as to what we can actually expect. Yeah. I mean, with domestic football over there, I, I did see that it it began and, and obviously it is still going on. Last time I saw it, it was all behind closed doors and I can well imagine it still is. But What's what's the situation with domestic football in Ukraine? Yes, yeah, so essentially, just like you said, there it is. It resumed. Well, the new season, the twenty twenty two twenty three season, started at the end of August in closed stadiums across Ukraine, in safe areas, of course, that were less at risk of being attacked by missiles, etc. Mm. 
no no fans as you say so it's behind closed doors very sort of covidy style yeah and on top of that there is the added uh risk slash delays and interruptions from air raid sirens or air, potential air raid strikes so that occasionally disrupts games in terms of it causes maybe an hour delay maybe a bit longer maybe a bit shorter players all go down to uh, a nearby bomb shelter or some sort of shelter that is regulated for that particular thing. And then once the air raid sirens sort of given the all clear and everything's okay, they all come out and finish the game. I think like 99% of matches have been finished if they've been interrupted. Some games have lasted like four and a half hours in terms of from the, uh, the first whistle to, to the final one. And in general, everyone's, coping I guess the best as they possibly can because the footballers themselves have got the privilege per se to be remain to remain as professional athletes um they've got sort of special dispensation to not be called up to the army because they're playing football because they can provide that sense of respite that sense of um ele- temporary elation for fans etc um that pe- that watch them in terms of sort of an entertainment purpose, if if per se, and on top of that, just in general, it was hope that football can continue because the longer it does not resume, you're going to be living in fear. Are you really going to be living in fear all your life of Russian attacks and all that kind of thing? When the I guess the chances of Russia properly striking or potentially causing some sort of damage during a football game is probably lower than you know, someone being in a, a civilian block of flats or something mm. like that, um, just because of the way that that they operate. And I mean it's been it's been going fine. Um I, I guess you could say it's a negative connotation that a lot of the foreign players have left the Ukrainian Premier League as a result. Um so the likes of Shakhtar, who obviously a lot of people would find synonymous with Brazilians over the past two decades, very much their core side now is predominantly Ukrainian based right? and there's a massive chunk of the current squad that's going to be playing England that um, play for Shakhtar more so than Dynamo Kiev um, and even Denit Pro 1 who are also sort of bringing on this sort of title challenge that has not been seen in recent years so it's interesting to say the least um, probably a lot less lower in quality than it used to be from the heydays of you know when all the Dynamo Kiev and Shakhtar were playing in the Champions League regularly and Metal East and Dnipro and other sides were were in the Europa League and everything else. But it's going along, continuing, surviving for the foreseeable. So I think that's sort of the very minimum positive news that we can all take from it. And fingers crossed that it can continue and finish the season at, at the very least. Yeah, absolutely. Puts it into it's a real perspective when sort of games here might get very rarely obviously do they get sort of postponed or Mm. breaks in it but when when games are being postponed or or sort of breaks in them for three four hours then uh, yeah it makes you realize obviously how lucky we are but yes you mentioned obviously different players um from from different clubs all, all around all across ukraine but obviously there is uh those that play as you said, in, in Europe and, and a few that 
on making waves over here in the Premier League and have done for a little while now. Obviously, we've got Sinchenko at Arsenal, formerly of Manchester City, um, Moyelenko of Everton, Mudrik at Chelsea is an interesting one. And, and then I didn't realise, um, is it Zabami at Bournemouth? Um, I didn't realise yeah. was, was Ukrainian. But yeah, Mudrik, well, obviously went to Chelsea for, for big bucks and was applied as being one of the, a real good upcoming player. What, what's the thoughts on, on him and, and the others playing in the Premier League? Yeah, so if we're going to start on Mudrik, he's, I guess a lot of people had a lot of high hopes for him to hit the ground running yeah. pretty much immediately. But when you take into account his first couple of months in the Premier League, he's had an okay debut when he came off the bench against Liverpool. And then in conjunction with a very bad run of form from Chelsea, when they had a load of injuries and just in general sort of tactical mindlessness, they weren't playing too well. And Mudrik sort of suffered as well alongside that by not putting in good performances himself and sort of being part of the team that wasn't performing too well. Uh, he sat out a few games recently in terms of he just wasn't brought on at all. And then he sort of made a comeback start against Leicester and was fortunately enough able to sort of play a key role in the victory against them by getting an assist, having a goal ruled offside. Um, just in general, looking a bit more like his previous self that a lot of people saw in the Champions League back in the autumn when he was playing for Shakhtar against uh, the likes of Real Madrid, Leipzig and Celtic. So <clears throat> I think that time is all that he really needs. He just needs to get adapted to the Premier League a bit more. Uh, probably won't be fully adapted to English football, I don't think, until at least the summer when he gets a proper pre-season in, when he's got some proper match fitness in, because he hasn't really played proper football in a sort of week in, week out since November when he was yeah. at Schechter and then the winter break came and all of that. So we'll see, but as we know, with Ukrainian players in the Premier League, who don't necessarily perform too well for their clubs, a la Andriy Malenko, they do like to put it on for their national team. So we'll see how yeah. Madrid sort of puts that on against England, especially at a, at a stadium like Wembley, which I'm sure a lot of the squad will want to sort of make an impression in. And then, as you mentioned, yeah, there's a few others. McCollum Coyle at Everton, He's had a few injuries. Well, he had a bit of an illness recently, but I think he's coming back to the sort of the first team. I think he should be okay. Obviously, the situation with Everton at the moment, relegation scrap, mm. not the most optimum place to be playing in, but he's got Sean Dyche under there. I think he's going to be helping him uh, improve defensively in terms of structure and uh, discipline and everything like that. And then, as you mentioned, Ilya Zabani, he joined in January um, from Dynamo Kiev, 25 million. However, he's not made an appearance yet because he's been injured or he picked uh -huh. up an injury very shortly after arriving from Dynamo Kiev. And as a result, he apparently has only just returned to training, uh, like not even full squad training, just sort of getting a bit of ball work done, running on the grass and all that kind of stuff. So the general consensus is, is that there's probably like a less than 50% chance that he might even feature right. um, against England because he's not played properly since November because of obviously the winter break, as we mentioned for Dynamo Kiev. Then this injury's come along, so he's not even been able to make his debut in the Premier League yet. And 
on top of that, it might just be a bit too soon to literally throw him in first game against England when he's not played football for six months, which yeah, I don't think would be particularly wise. <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess, and obviously, I think Zinchenko, everyone's been watching Arsenal over the past season and he's been one of the key players. And I think that he's going to be very much the leader for Ukraine in this international break. And as a vice captain, very much considered the fact that Andrea Malenko is also an injury doubt. Um, he's over in the Arab Emirates as well, playing for the same team as uh, Serhi Rebrov manages. He's a bit of an injury doubt as well. So if Yarmolenko doesn't feature, then it's more than likely that Zinchenko will lead the team out as captain um, at Wembley. Oh, it's going to be uh, going to be an interesting one. Are you, are you planning on going? Yeah, absolutely. Got a bit of um, work in and around the game, so we'll be kept busy both uh beforehand and and during the game but very much looking forward to it because I think it's going to be a special occasion like you said I saw the video uh, that came out from like Gareth Southgate last week where he was saying that it's going to be a special occasion yeah. especially with uh, refugees coming along I think the FA's invited over a thousand given free tickets out to Ukrainian refugees and the away end sold out as well so a good I don't know how many 3,000, 4,000 Ukraine fans in the stadium. I think it's going to be on top of obviously the sellout in the England home end. It's going to be um, a great occasion. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I will be there. But just moving on to the the away game or the home game for Ukraine, it's, it's a question that many England supporters have been asked. Do we know where it's likely to be played? Obviously, they've played... Um, their home games over in Poland. Have you got any mm. insight as to the away game? No. Well, it's currently up in the air, sadly. So essentially, over the past few days, at time of recording, uh, one of the top Ukrainian insiders um, that always leaks a few things from the Ukrainian Association of Football and others has hinted that Ukraine's game against Malta, which is meant to be a home game, which is being played in June, could potentially not take place in Poland. Apparently, UAF are looking at other countries. So taking that into account and the fact that the England game, the home game for Ukraine, is going to be in autumn, then whatever might happen with Malta might be carried over to whatever happens for the England game. But obviously it's all up in the air at the moment. So not even worth me commenting at the time being, because nothing's official, nothing really else has been coming out. And just knowing how um, in the past UAF have sort of announced venues and that kind of thing, usually find out maybe two months, a month before, especially in the current situation. So time will tell, unfortunately. But um, if people do want to find out, then I will be tweeting about any updates whenever they do come out um, in the future. Fair enough. I think it's I think it's understandable. Obviously, the situation that it's in. Um, but the, I don't know if you were aware of this one. There was talk, and and it's since been sort of taken off of <laughs> Wikipedia um, that Ukraine were going to play Ecuador in Alicante. Um, I don't know if you saw yes. that um, and. As I say, it's now gone, and I see that Ecuador are playing someone else. I think Australia actually at that particular time. Um, so I mean, I don't know where that came from, to be honest. Um, me neither, to be honest, because I also saw that. And sometimes people on Wikipedia just like adding fake stuff. So potentially it might have been that, or there might have been some sort of 
the rumor going around, but I didn't actually hear anything from Ukraine itself or some of the sources that I've got close to the Ukrainian association football related to that. However, in, in and around the actual England game with regards to friendly, uh, what something that's been circulating around the media sphere in Ukraine over the past, I don't know, month or so has been actually Ukraine are going to play a friendly against Brentford. Oh, really? Um, well, apparently, um, yeah. uh, albeit it's not been publicly announced or confirmed or anything like that. So potentially there's been rumours that it will be played at the GTEC Community Stadium. There's been rumours it will just be played at the training ground, uh, sort of like a bibs versus, you yeah. know, non-bibs kind of game and that kind of thing. So I'm leaning just to the fact that, um, you know, at the time of recording, there's not been much or anything confirmed yet it's less than likely that if it is going to go ahead it's going to be something that fans can go to it's more than likely going to be some sort of behind closed doors event of some kind just to get rotan a bit of a gist on what he's working with per se um especially seeing as he's obviously only come into the job and he's going to be working in his club role until the weekend before so that will be um interesting to see but uh nonetheless another sort of club side that ukraine have played because they played a fair few last last uh spring last summer ahead of those world cup playoffs and you know they are a bit pointless in the sense that they don't count towards a record or anything like that in fifa terms but if they're pretty handy it means that ukraine doesn't have to travel anywhere they can be based in london for the entire week before the england game and if they obviously have the bonus of playing against someone such as Brentford, who not all of their squad will be away on international duty, etc. Um, then it's an added bonus. Yeah. No, I'm just thinking this now, because obviously it's a five team group, which is uh, why there's a possibility of playing that, that extra game. Yeah. That's, that's interesting one. Um, now just to sort of maybe, Round it off a little. I know that you've got your own podcast, um, Ukraine Plus Football, um, been going for a little while now. Do you want to tell us a, a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So I guess it's a fairly regular podcast that myself, uh, a British expat who lived in Kiev for 10 years, my friend Adam and another Kiev resident local, Ray, all co-host, about we release fortnightly episodes, sometimes weekly, sometimes a bit longer, just depends on when we can all find time to record. And we talk about Ukrainian football in terms of the Ukrainian Premier League, what's going on, players abroad, such as obviously the players in the Premier League, how they're getting along, players in France um, and further afield. And also all the other topics that come around, obviously, with the war and all that kind of stuff. Sometimes we have guests on, sometimes we preview, obviously, the sort of Europa League games, the Champions League and everything else related to Ukrainian football. So if anyone does want to listen, you can just find us on any of the usual podcast providers. Um, and yeah, Ukraine plus sign uh, football. Yeah. No, I noticed that you had, uh, you spoke with Andy Brassel you spoke with recently. Yeah, he was a uh, good fun to come on to uh, talk a bit about Shakhtar and um, Feyenoord, um, who Shakhtar playing in the, the Europa League recently. Yeah, oh, nice one. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll link to that um, on the uh, on the Three Lions podcast. Andrew, thank you very much for taking the time to to join us um, and speak about the game. Obviously, you're on Twitter 
Um, now, this is the bit that I always struggle with. You're going to have to pronounce it for me. <laughs> sure. Zoria Londonsk. There we go. Zoria at Zoria Londonsk. Um, yeah, once again, thank you very much for for your time um, and just giving us a little insight into what life is is currently like back in Ukraine. And, and I uh, obviously I speak for a, a lot of people, I'm sure, in just hoping that this all ends very soon um, and positively in in Ukraine's favour. And, and obviously, I wish all the best to, uh, to your friends and family back there. Thanks a lot, Russell. Been a pleasure talking. And yeah, fingers crossed for a positive result on the battlefield and also a great game on Sunday when yeah. England take on Ukraine. My thanks to Andrew there. We had that conversation a week or so ago. And obviously I record it, I edit it, only so much as to take the unnecessary bits off at the beginning and the end. So I've listened to it a couple of times. Just brings it so much closer to home with what's going on over there. Uh, I've said it before that I don't like to mix politics in with the pod, but sometimes it's impossible not to. But thanks for tuning in. I appreciate it's been a longer one than normal, but I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, For those of you that are going to Italy, I wish you a safe trip. Likewise, for those that are going to Wembley on Sunday. For those of you on the sofa, enjoy the game. I think they're on Channel 4, aren't they? The rights changed a while back, I, I think. I've just got to throw a few things in a bag and head to the airport now. I'll be back with you very soon to tell you all about it. So until then, take care of yourselves. Cheers.